Everyone, it's Lou Rosenfeld, and you're listening to the Rosenfeld Review Podcast. And my special guest today is um, Luke Rapluski, who um, everyone knows Luke. Hi, Luke. Hi. I'm not sure that statement is true, but thank you. Uh, it's, it, you know, if you're going to say that about anyone, uh, you're, you're probably about there uh, in terms of the impact you've made in a lot of different areas related to user experience design. Um, if, you're, if you've heard that name and it's sort of uh, bumping through your memory, you haven't quite put it together. Uh, well, Luke uh, wrote a book for Rosenfeld Media that uh, we were just kind of having our minds blown that came out 11 years ago, uh, Webform Design. And um, I'll come back to that in a moment. You also may know Luke's book uh, for uh, Book Apart, uh, Mobile First, which became uh, something of a meme. It's a term that uh, I think a lot of people probably use without even realizing that Luke coined it as the title of his book. And uh, Luke is, is just kind of well, he's had interesting things going on from his startups to his work at to eBay and Yahoo. And these days, as a, um, what's your formal title, uh, product director at Google. And uh, it's really, we, I, I just, you know, so we're doing this podcast. And uh, it's partly because I wanted an excuse to catch up with Luke. So, uh, hi, Luke. Thanks for, for catching up. Okay. So, yeah, you know what? Thank you for catching up with me. One of the, the things that um, I, I really loved about working with you on Webform Design was that you were someone who, you know, I saw, you're not that much younger than I am, but you were one of the younger people that was accomplished uh, that I had ever worked with. And what was so exciting to me was that you, when you were doing that book, very nonchalantly, in my opinion, covered a lot of bases that I didn't see people cover all at once. So, you know, you, you, you know, were clearly writing a book on interaction design, but you also commissioned a usability study that you did with the, the guys in London uh, at Etra. Um, and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, there were strong visual design aspects to what you were writing about. And you just kind of synthesized in a way that I would now describe as post-tribal. So back 12, 11 years ago, I think a lot of us were fighting these wars of IA is important. No, interaction design is important. No, usability engineering is important, and so on. There was a lot of tribalness. And uh, I kind of feel like you were one of the first people, if not the first, that I met who had sort of said, ah, that's not important. What's important is solving problems. Did you, do, do you see it that way? I don't know if I saw it that way per se, but I remember when I did my very first book, this was even before web form design, uh, sightseeing, the whole premise there was people were very dismissive of visual design. This was sort of like the heyday of Jacob Nielsen's, uh, I can't remember what it's called, like designing websites, I think it was, <clears throat> as being like, you know, what people considered web design should be. And I remember there's a very, very strong push towards usability at the expense of other things. And so a lot of what I tried to do there, being aware of the things visual design brings to any kind of problem, was be inclusive of that, but also not be dismissive of the other stuff, right? So it wasn't like a, 
no, it's not about usability, it's about visual design. It was more like, hey, here's what visual design brings to the party and here's how these things work really well together. Well, how did and, you, you know, figure out how they worked well together? Was that just by hook or by crook? So I had the blessing of when I was going to school that user experience design wasn't a term. Interaction design wasn't a term, right? Like web design was barely a term. And so the way that you got into that field was by taking a little piece from multiple disciplines. So I, for example, did a lot in um, the art and design school. I ended up getting a degree in uh, graphic design, but I started out in computer science mm -hmm. on the engineering campus. And then in order to kind of fulfill my desire to go make software on computers, I went and worked in the uh, Department of Aviation in the Human Factors Group, because that was really the only place at that university where people were thinking about things like ergonomics and usability. And uh, in order to understand kind of IA-type stuff, I actually taught at the Graduate School of Library and Information Sciences back when it was a library, <laughs> right? Oh, we have that in common. Yeah, when it was a very library-oriented thing. So I had to piece together how to make software from all these different places. And I guess as a result of doing that, that's just always been an ingrained part of how I approach the problem. And this was all at the University of Illinois Champaign-Urbana? Yep. Oh. Uh, which, of course, was a pretty interesting place to be. That was around the time, uh, maybe just after that uh, NCSA's uh, mosaic came out, which was basically a UIUC project. Yeah, and so I had an internship at NCSA. Um, you know, like maybe a year, year and a half or so after Mosaic was released publicly. And so I was around a whole bunch of people who were trying to figure out what do we do with this web thing. Mm -hmm. And again, there wasn't really like a discipline for it, right? So everybody was pulling from the different parts that they knew and trying to bring it together into this new thing. And Maybe that's why that's in my ethos, right? So uh, I'm comparing our paths a little bit. And, um, uh, you know, I was a few years older than you, still am. And um, my perception of being at another Big Ten university, University of Michigan, at the time was that here's this great university. It's uh, a, a, a site of universal knowledge and learning. But we were discouraged from uh, jumping across silos and learning outside of our um, our major or our graduate school's disciplines. And um, I remember maybe it was just the discipline I called my home discipline, library science and information science. We were very um, certainly discouraged, I think, from taking not only classes outside our departments, and that's partly because of a really lame business model that the university had adopted, um, where departments had to fund themselves through tuition. But, um, even when you left, you were, you were still supposed to read certain journals, work certain jobs in certain types of institutions, go to certain conferences. Now, for me, I wanted to break beyond those in a way that was more about creating a new community. I think for you, maybe a big difference was you, you were taking all these things, breaking them apart so you could not so much build a community, but solve a problem, make software that actually changed the way things worked. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 
That sounds right. I mean, I don't, at the time, I don't think community building or anything like that was even in my like worldview. Right? <laughs> like, I wouldn't even have thought that was a thing. Um, I was very much trying to make stuff, which is still kind of the thing that guides me the most. I just like making things, uh, the process of it, you know, the end result of it, even in many ways, the maintenance of it. Um, so that's kind of what's always been behind what I do. And when you're trying, when you like to make things, you want to figure out how to do it. Right. Right. And therefore things which straddled the line between disciplines there, you had to go cross those lines to figure out, well, how does this work? Okay. Well, I kind of want to put information in here. Hmm. How do I put information in here? Oh, there's this library and information sciences thing. Maybe that's the way to do it. And then there's like a, there's a front end to this. I kind of have to make it look right or good or whatever. So what does that? Well, there's this thing, graphic design. That sounds right. Then I got to build it in computer science and people got to use it, right? Ergonomics, on and on and on. Well, did you ever find that as you kind of plumbed into those, uh, those transitional or in-between areas that you were discouraged? Or were you more of an attitude of, oh, I don't care, I'm just going to do what I want to do? Uh, again, I think I was very lucky at the time because nobody had a prescribed path for me, right? So I could go to people and say, here's what I want to do. And none of them were like, oh, yeah, that's ABC, mm -hmm. like they might today, right? If you go into a university today, I assume I haven't done this, but and you say, I want to do user experience, I bet they have, oh, here's the curriculum. You do this, you do that, you do that. But when I was saying these things, people were like, oh, I don't know. And so, like, they couldn't really discourage me because they didn't have any alternatives <laughs> to discourage me with. I'm glad you had that experience and, uh, you know, you were able to kind of identify problems uh, that you found really interesting. And, you know, obviously a lot of other people uh, have as well. Um, I always wanted to ask you this. It's probably something we talked about a dozen or so years ago, but I can't for the life of me uh, remember what you might have said. Why did you decide that web forums were one of those problems that really needed to be solved? Yeah, uh, so great question. And thanks for doing it, by the way. No, no worries. My pleasure. So <laughs> following uh, my time at uh, the university, right, this is actually like post-grad school. So I was stitching there with all those disciplines, and I got contacted by a mutual friend. They wanted me to come over to eBay, talk to the team there, and uh, I decided to go over there. And when I was there, what I found that wasn't a project that I had done, but it was something that the other designers had done there. They did this redesign of the registration form, which at the time was just horrendous as you can ever imagine, mm -hmm. right? Um, and when they changed it, eBay that year, or that quarter had to restate their earnings to Wall Street because they made 30% more money than they anticipated making, largely attributed to bringing new people in the door, thereby largely attributed to this redesign of the registration form and so it just got me like my head was i don't want to say blown open but it really resonated with me hey this design shit has huge impact this stuff really really matters right here's the primary goal of a major internet company at the time if you remember ebay it was a really big oh, deal yeah. right yeah it's a very big deal and here one of their core like business metrics slash objectives Nobody was paying any attention to it. And through the process of design, we were able to have tremendous impact. And that has stuck with me forever. And in the way 
that that process worked is that you know all the usual stuff like hey there's this visual design thing to fix there's some usability testing we looked at some quantitative data on and on right but when all that stuff got put together into this holistic you can call it ux or whatever you want to call it big mountains moved and i realized when i was going around everywhere else on the internet everything else was in this shitty old state that we were in before and so it seemed to me like not only is this really impactful but it's really really underserved nobody's looking at this or even thinking about it they're just copying what everybody else is doing and you know why they must not understand the impact or they don't understand how to do it just to kind of like round this out you remember the intro jared spool did to the book yep the $300 million button. It was deliberately right. intended to communicate exactly this idea, right? Which was, look, these UI things can have a tremendous impact and you should be versed in the way to have that impact. Here we go. You know, I'm trying to then paint uh, a, a, or draw a line from that kind of problem solving and obviously in book form, web form design, to what you did with mobile first. So it's, it's not really, you know, mobile first is like, less problem to solve in a way and more of a philosophy like a way to change the way you think about design would you agree or was it another problem solving expedition yeah the latter so uh context on that this was when i was at yahoo following ebay and uh when we were at yahoo you know we spent all this time redesigning all of our like web products and every time it was like add some more shit and the designer's job was to kind of like take all the new we're adding sorry am i allowed to swear on here Maybe we'll just we'll just beep don't worry okay I'll, I'll stop take all this stuff <laughs> about this that. family show Rablewski. there you go okay family show so take all this stuff and add it to the website and so the poor designer's job would be to deal with this added stuff and kind of bring it back to a semi nice looking okay working state and while that was going on you had this totally separate team working on feature phones and the experiences that they were making out of Yahoo products for these, at that point, getting better phones were so simple and so straightforward. They had to distill it down to the basics, right? The weather app on a phone was, here's your weather, where you are. The weather app, if you can go, I'd probably go look at weather.yahoo.com today. You can, you can picture in your head just how much, you know, bologna and cheese is on that page. Mm -hmm. And so it really struck me as that is an amazing kind of foil to get us to, again, create things that focus on people's core needs. And if you want to get the weather, the mobile design forces you to answer that question immediately. And then at the same time, you know, we were seeing that mobile was really starting to take off. So the ability to create this better experience, this thing that literally helped people's lives, and the fact that it was going to permeate the entire world, you could kind of see some of those trends, was, okay, here's a thing that's becoming a rocket ship, and it's a chance to fix all these crappy designs that are out there, so should push on it. Well, and, and in a way, uh, where you are now is kind of an early model for that type of design. I mean, the, for those who don't recall, um, when we tried to find information on the web before Google, we were dealing with these horrible portals like uh, Excite and Yahoo and AltaVista and a number of others where 
the uh, prevailing thought was the more you cram into a page and sort of design it as some kind of crazy um, information dashboard, the better you're going to be. And uh, credit to uh, Larry and Sergey, they, they said, no, we're just going to have this one function, this one uh, uh, form uh, box that is the gateway to the entire World Wide Web. And in a way, that's, that's sort of like a harbinger in my mind of mobile first. Um, so that's where you are now, Google as a product director. And, and what does that entail? Uh, and, and are we going to see it all come together in yet another amazing book? Uh, you know, so in, in my career, I have come in and out of companies. And when you're in a company, you generally can't talk too much about what you're doing in the company, right? Uh, so immediately, I think the answer to the book question is no. But uh, to come back to how we started it, you know, in, in a role where you are responsible for more aspects of the product, I think you have to grow to this appreciation of knowing all the levers that you have to manage and pull as appropriate that create a full product. Mm-hmm. And I think this, if I can speak semi-candidly, like many designers that come to me and say things like, I want to be more strategic, I want to, you know, have more impact, I want stuff, why don't they do the things I say they should do? The real big gap there is from a taking ownership and responsibility gap. Like everybody wants to tell other people what to do. But when you get put into the seat of having to do it, you realize, you know, hey, half my day is spent with legal trying to figure out the appropriate terms of service to make this interaction actually work. The other half of my day is spent negotiating with engineering to understand how this legacy system that we happen to have to build this thing on top of is going to interface with this next thing. And, oh, my God, what does the migration path look like? Right. And when you take on responsibility of those things, then you kind of get the, uh, I don't want to say, burden of making the decisions but you know some people see it as like the uh, uh, benefit of making decisions but in reality like you take those outcomes from those decisions on your own shoulders so maybe burden is a better word it's not the ideal world but you kind of get the idea right and so many people are very averse to make that kind of transition and they would much rather hang out in the world of i'm going to make the pictures or i'm going to make the mock-ups or the wireframe whatever and then hand it over a wall and then yell why you didn't do what I said. So it's a trade-off. You, you know, if you're not going to take on the responsibility, then be prepared to not be happy with uh, what happens. And certainly with your design work, it isn't going to well, just the way you hoped. It's, what do they call that in football, right? The like Monday morning quarterback or whatever? Right, right. Yeah, I mean, it's the same basic model, right? Everybody can kind of do the Monday morning quarterbacking. But, and I'm going to stretch the sports ball thing too far here, right? But being on the field and taking the hits or whatever, you know, that's how you kind of grow in terms of leadership and in, in the ability to go make the decisions. It's interesting because, uh, not to put in too much of a plug, but we, were, we really changed uh, the program of Enterprise Experience, which used to be Enterprise UX. Uh, it's a conference that's going to be in your neighborhood in June in San Francisco. Um, and you know, a big use case for the conference moving forward is helping UX leaders and managers kind of help their own people 
to um, acquire some skills that as craftspeople, they don't normally pick up. Like you're not gonna go to general assembly or, or grad school even necessarily and, and pick up what are wrongly called soft skills, leadership skills, a sense of business acumen, how, understand how a, a P&L works. But those are all skills that you need to survive and thrive in an enterprise setting. And so um, we're certainly looking to, to change the way we program the event along those lines. And, and I got to say, the preliminary uh, reactions have been super positive. I mean, people seem to really be resonating with the idea that, you know, this is a different setting and it's one that really kind of puts a craftsperson on the spot. Um, if I was to ask you what type of either skills a design craftsperson needs to acquire or attitude changes, it sounds like you'd start with taking ownership, taking responsibility. Is there anything else you'd add to that? Oh, I think that's one piece. And then why I brought this up as kind of a follow-on to what we were talking about before, right? It, it, you can't be in this siloed view of the world. Because frankly, like making things in particular, pretty much anything in the world, but digital things, it's a very multidisciplined, complicated thing. And so you have to be willing to embrace those different disciplines, understand them enough so that you can influence them right and be appreciative of what they're doing and how they're doing it and so that requires this multi i keep using the word disciplinary but i think that is the best way to describe it approach to problems um and the other thing is you know and you know this having your own company right? and i've learned this having startups and also working in big companies there's so many things that need to get done and if you really like let's say you really care about the nuance of an interaction sometimes the way to get that done isn't to deliver a beautiful mock-up but it's to spend those three hours with the security team to figure out how to make it actually work in a way that keeps people safe right it's that roll up your sleeves and do what needs to be done to deliver that great product as opposed to you know um, trying to i don't want to use shield yourself from it right but there's this natural ability not, it's, it's natural for you to focus on the things that you do and not want to even acknowledge <laughs> that so many other things can screw it. Like, you know, in your but business as a publisher, there's so many factors beyond you publishing a good book that impact your business. Right? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, so I'll push back a little bit here in that if you're talking about craftspeople, yeah, I agree. The, the ones that are going to be most successful are the ones who I think like kind of like your path that they, they don't get too hung up on the boundaries of discipline or, or, or company functions, York chart is laid out, whatever it is. Um, but the truth of the matter is in a large organization, that's how your, your incentives are designed. You're, you're put on a team and with, you have certain incentives and they are not necessarily designed to enable you to get outside your silo. Uh, and to me, that's a major leadership failure. And the, the leaders in the design world that I see impressing me the most are the ones that are saying, look, you know, it is, you know, we have to start filling in the gaps between those, those silos, between those functions uh, with, with, you know, goals, with rewards, 
maybe sometimes it's not just a carrot, maybe it's a stick at times. So they have to make that, that situation more welcoming of collaboration across silos. And it's more than just collaboration. And isn't that a nice thing to do? Sometimes people need translation. They need to understand each other. They need the words to actually explain the problems to each other so they can work on it together. Uh, I, I don't know if you'd agree, but if you would, are you seeing companies that are, are, are or types of leader that are really starting to figure this out? And, and can you bottle it and let the rest of us know? <laughs> well, let me actually take one step back and say, I don't think necessarily everybody has to go and do this, right? But it's, t it's totally fine for me to have amazing designers creating fantastic interaction design, visual design that don't want to go do that. But then you need somebody that can fill those gaps, right? And can translate and bring those things to the table in a way that actually gets them uh, to the end state. And so organizationally, you can do this one of two ways. You can have this mindset, oh no, everybody needs to bridge the gap, fill the holes and do all this stuff. Or you can find the people who a bit more naturally align with that, or you can create specific positions for this, or you can, you know, build a managerial structure that enables this because i certainly have people that i work with on a regular basis who you know they're i'll use their term here amazing craft people that's what they want to do they love mm -hmm. to kind of hone in go deep make great stuff but they're not the ones that are going to go get it adopted across the organization so in many cases that would be something that i pick up right I'm involved in the work, I know where it's going, I can represent it, and I'll go push it through A, B, C, and D, and then we make things work that way. So there's, yeah. there's a bunch of different ways that you can do this. Well, and that second but you, case, you, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say, the one thing you can't do is have your cake and eat it too, again, to use a really tired cliche. You can't be like, nobody listens to me, I'm not, you know, right. I'm not heard. And I just want to sit here with my headphones on all day and make things like you can't have that. Right. Well, but there are lots of other ways to, to close those holes. So, I mean, that, that whole second case of, uh, you know, gap filling, uh, I, I totally agree with you. And I, I guess I was arguing that the, the identification of the gaps and finding people to fill is to some degree uh, a leadership, maybe the most important leadership function in, in large organizations that, that create products and services. What do I know? I don't work in one of those, but that's just my, my narrow view of the situation. Um, but it doesn't surprise me because you're a gap filler. And, you know, you, that's why it's not, you know, in order to kind of get between silos and pull them together, like you've been doing for your whole career, well, the, the gaps are those areas between the silos. And not everyone is comfortable in those. You're comfortable in them. It's some place I've, I've enjoyed being. A lot of us who've been in the field for a long time are there precisely because we have that kind of gap-filling mentality. Um, in your work today, the little that I know, and I know you can't share too much of it, I get the sense that you are kind of in that role at Google as, as something of a, a person who's plumbing these gaps that nobody necessarily saw before, and you're starting to, to, to uh, make some connections that weren't there before. Yeah, I don't know if gap filler is the most sexy title for it's it. It's not, but that's because I came up with it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> okay. Um, so don't, don't everybody go aspire to be gap fillers. By, let's just, well, hey, wait, 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 wait
I, I could give you some I could give you some corporate crap, right? Like synergistic something something. I don't know. Oh, you think uh, that's better, huh? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I don't think it's better at all. It's probably worse on the other side of the spectrum. There's probably some middle ground, but um in my current role, you know, like for example, yesterday I spent a huge amount of time working with the finance team. Which you know, as again, if I'm just in the nuance of interaction design or something like that, I'd probably spend zero time with the finance team. But from the perspective of enabling the team to do what they need to do, those kind of relationships are really important, right? And understanding how they work and how they allocate money, which kind of need money to do things, mm -hmm. <laughs> plays a pretty big uh, role in things. And what I find from the gap filling perspective, we used to, I'll go back to my time at Yahoo. Me and Tom Chi made this course for designers at Yahoo that we called from uh, board to board. So it's from the drawing board to the boardroom. Ooh, and the idea great. was, it's, it, it was a multi-week course for designers to teach them how to have more strategic impact. Because many of those years ago, we identified the same issues, right? And we developed this curriculum. And one of the key things that we, pushed in that curriculum is don't be like other people do what you do but identify what you do and see how it adds value to these other domains so mm -hmm. many very common paths to like gaining influence are like oh if the company only knew the value of design we just got to tell them here's a powerpoint presentation of what we do and how we do it and personas and storyboards and mock-ups and isn't this great and nobody gives a crap right it'd be the same and this is the metaphor we always use if the finance team walked around but like, look pivot tables look balance sheet aren't we awesome get finance team to involved in your work <laughs> like you would be bored as hell too and so the things that we taught were like hey design as a discipline is very good at pattern recognition and stitching together narratives. That's what you do all day, right? You like find things that are kind of similar, whether they're buttons or headlines or content or whatever, and you represent those relationships. You know what? You can do that for all kinds of other things too. You're very good storytellers. You know, you build narratives. People in the finance department, not to stereotype too much, aren't very good storytellers. They need that skill set. So what you bring to the table is these things like pattern recognition, like storytelling, right? Like visual communication. And you, again, to use the phrase, fill gaps that they didn't even know they had. Mm -hmm. And as a result, they want you there because you're doing things that they can't otherwise do. You know, I, I was just talking to Peter Merholtz and having a similar conversation where he said, you know, I'm, I'm talking, I think he was talking to HR people and they were just, their jaws dropped because he started doing modeling work. And they don't know how to do modeling. That's the kind of modeling that we do. And it was just like a magical moment. And I, I'm just kind of excited that I think a lot of us are going to be having those moments of, of bringing something we've taken for granted to people who have like unbelievable skills and knowledge that's different than ours, but have no, no idea how to do some of the things that we do. So yeah, but, really, but the trick there though is to, do it in a way that gives them the value they want, right? Yeah. Like if you go and do the modeling and you make it abstract and make it too much about UX and isn't UX great, they don't care. But if you go and do it in a way that solves their problem, like, hey, HR, you're trying to achieve this. I'm going to do this thing for you. And they're like, whoa, well, that helped a ton. That's where well, you get the lock-in. That's right. Hey, Luke, you know, 
we've already gone probably long and, and we could go much longer. Um, I wish we had more time. Uh, I, I want to ask you one last question. I'm going to put you on the spot and uh, I don't know if uh, you have an answer, but I'll, I'll give it a shot. If the answer is no, I have no clue. That's fine. What's the next web form design? What's the next gnarly problem that someone want to take a deep dive into and pull a bunch of pieces together, do some synthesis, and solve the hell out of, like you did with web form design? Uh, so there's a few things that I have been interested in. I'll give you like two that maybe have been on my mind lately. There's some pretty early stage stuff where we are bringing digital information and interactions and objects into the real world. And at the same time, things in the real world are becoming more digital. People have talked about this as like ubiquitous computing and all that, you know, but we're seeing more and more tangible aspects of this. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's a lot more on the horizon that we can get the value of digital things without going digital via like a screen in our hand. Yeah. And there's a lot of interesting stuff to figure out there. And, um, I think that has the potential to be really game changing in many ways, but you know, how far out on the horizon it is that I think is the hardest part of all these things. It's like, you know, surfing, you get there too early, too late, you don't get the wave. Right. Um, and then the other one that's really been of interest to me has been around using, we have so much data now, right? And most data is drastically misused. Most dashboards create harm. Most use of metrics have unintended consequences or poorly thought of, utilized, what have you. But like when used correctly, I've increasingly just come to fully believe you are what you measure. And it impacts so many things of what you do. For again, from a strategic and from an impact perspective, getting deep into that and understanding how you can use data and metrics and measurements and all of that to achieve very concrete specific outcomes i think is a really big deal too cool so those are things i'm interested in but who knows uh, i'm glad i have this uh recorded uh and uh, <laughs> uh it's friday afternoon but monday morning i'll start looking for authors okay. uh luke so great having you on the podcast today uh, Luke Rabluski, uh, product director at Google, author of Webform Design uh, at Sightseeing, mm -hmm. and uh, Mobile First, of course. And uh, if you want to keep up with Luke, well, good bloody luck with that, but you can try his website, lukew.com. Luke, thanks again for joining us. Much thanks. Let's, let's not wait 10 more years. Ha, <laughs> okay.